Engaging Leader, episode 139. How to speak the truth to your boss and team, even when it's hard. Featuring Mindy McKenzie. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Most people in the business world don't have the courage to say what they're really thinking. But you aren't doing anyone a favor when you don't provide bad news, negative feedback, or other hard truths that can affect performance. Today, we've invited back Mindy McKenzie, who was our guest back in episode 137. We'll dig into some of the core themes of her new book, The Courage Solution, The Power of Truth-Telling with Your Boss, Peers, and Team. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking... I always tell the truth. That goes without saying. But when I cracked open Mindy's book, I immediately started learning practical ways to be much more clear and open and to do so not like a bull in a china shop, but in a way that's gentle and genuinely helpful to the individual or business that needs to hear it. Mindy McKenzie is very qualified in the subject. Previously, she served as Chief Performance Officer and Chief HR Officer of the liquor giant Jim Beam. Hmm, that sounds pretty good right now. Well, anyway, her career also includes five years at Campbell's Soup Company, where she was the VP of Asia-Pacific Asia Pacific HR and Public Affairs. Okay, first I was thirsty and now I'm getting hungry. And she was spent nine years at Walmart, where she advanced through various leadership, HR, and organizational development roles. So today we'll talk about how to speak truths in a way people will actually hear. That includes giving feedback to your direct reports, but also upwards, how to express pushback, challenges, and disagreements with your boss. Mindy McKenzie, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Thank you, Jesse. I'm so happy to be back with you. So your book is The Courage Solution, The Power of Truth-Telling with Your Boss, Peers, and Team. And I'd like to start by talking about some of the times when it's difficult to tell the truth with your team. How does a leader uh, stay well-connected to direct reports, and especially in those moments when you've got some maybe difficult feedback to share with them? Sure. It's, I think it's one of the hardest things for any person to do because leaders are humans first and we like to be liked, right? So it's tough <laughs> to give difficult uh, news. And you hear a lot about coaching and feedback um, in the workplace. Uh, but I, I have a little tool that I think makes things very easy for leaders to naturally get into a conversation with their direct reports. And I call it the scale of one to 10 question. So for those of your listeners who do monthly um, one-on-ones, which is kind of the, a big thing in corporate. You have a monthly one-on-one. Typically, a monthly one-on-one looks very much like every other transactional conversation that you have on the job on a daily and weekly basis. I advocate that in the monthly one-on-one, you ask your direct report a simple question. You say, and I'm going to pretend, Jesse, you and I are, are working together. I'm going to say, Jesse, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being fabulous and 1 being lousy, how would you rate our relationship right now? Boy, Mindy, I, I would put us at an eight or nine. So that's great. I would love to know from you 
what I could do differently that could move our relationship toward a 10. Well, I think uh, maybe one thing is you could take back those uh, negative things you said about me last time. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. All right. So this is a really good encapsulated snapshot because the idea here is that it really doesn't matter what your direct report responds with the number. And typically at the beginning when you start to ask this question, they're going to give you eights and nines. Even though in reality, given what you followed up with, Jesse, I'd say you probably want to give me a three <laughs> or, or lower. Um, but it enables you, the power of the question is not the first question, it's actually the follow-up question. When you say, what can I do differently? And in, this is when courage comes into play. Because if in fact what... The, your direct report says to you, like you just said, well, you know, I really want you to take back all the negative things that you said. This is my opportunity to tell the truth and to say, well, I really appreciate that perspective, Jesse, but in fact, um, I can't agree with you on this and I'm not going to. And I want to revisit some of the things that I said to you because I, I think they're really important that we reinforce the feedback I gave you because I believe you can um, perform better. And so now, you gave me some information. I came back and I didn't say, oh, okay, I'm going to take back everything that I just said, you know, <laughs> to you because it makes you uncomfortable. And you can then follow up having gone down that rabbit run and then say, um, is there something else, though, apart from that, that would help um, our relationship out more? What do you need more of from me? And again, it gives your direct report an opportunity to. Um, reveal where their head's at and what they need more of. This is a, a, a dialogue that is going to challenge the leader. The, the asking a scale of 1 to 10 question is not hard. It'll feel awkward the first time, and people are like, Mindy, that's weird, you know. And I always encourage um, folks when I'm teaching them this to preface it by saying, listen, I just um, went to this seminar and heard this, or I just read this book and taught, I'm going to try something on you. And I'm going to be asking this of you every month because what you want to do with your direct reports is establish an expectation that you will be checking in with them in this manner. And we'll get to why in just a second, because there's a payoff for the leader. Um, and then you have the conversation because once you have checked in with them, you have the ability to then check on them and turn the tables on them. What do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is if you have gone ahead as a leader and said, listen, how can, what's the nature of our relationship? How would you rate that and what can I do differently? Then you can say, all right, Jesse, I'd like to ask you on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your degree of positive impact on your team right now? If you were to rate yourself, what number would you give yourself? 10 fab, fabulous, one is lousy. What would you say? Okay, and so maybe I would say seven. Oh, so tell me about that. Why a seven? Well, I think if you were to ask everybody on my team, you'd get a lot of uh, nines and tens, but there's two people on the team that would probably rate me a little bit lower, and so that would bring down the average. And why would they give you a lower number, Jesse? Because they're, um, they are, I would, to be blunt, I would say they're rather drama queens, and they don't like that I don't, uh, respond in a way that sort of uh, solves their drama. Right. What do you think you could be doing differently um, so that they would rate you higher than a seven? Boy, I don't know. I think they want me to be their personal servant and, uh, and solve all their problems. Um, but what 
I, I'm frankly stuck as to what I can do. I've tried to uh, push back on them to solve it themselves, and uh, it just seems like it's that's the way they're wired. Well, what's interesting about this is if I were to assess your level of impact with your team, um, I might give you maybe a five. And it is because of this issue. Because I think that there are some opportunities that you have to step in and be more directive with those two when they get into their wrangles than you are. What I've observed is that you tend to lean away from that. So let me pause here, Jess. We're role-playing role this, and you're doing a fantastic job, by the way. You're such a good sport to do this. <laughs> it's hard to do this, right? Um, but what it's illustrating is, is that the question and the follow-up question gives both parties a safe way to characterize what they think and what they anticipate other people think. And the leader has the chance then to slip in a courageous direct message in a safe way for their direct report, which is helpful for both parties. So a while back, you mentioned turning it around. Is there a point at which you, uh, where they invite you to provide a one to 10? No, because the turnaround was when I asked you to rate yourself. Okay. So the, so the first phase of the scale of one to 10 is you're checking in on the relationship and asking for the direct reports, um, feedback essentially on your leadership, right? Because right. you're staying in tune with them and you're role modeling. But then the turnaround is you actually using the scale of one to 10 question to have the direct report take accountability and drive their self-awareness about their performance. And it's the door that's open that enables you to then go through and give some good coaching. Because gotcha. if, if you've got a person that's always saying, well, I'm a nine or a 10 on you know this project or with these people or whatever, but you would say you're a two or a three, the beauty of using this scale is you can say it. Mm -hmm. Say, gosh, with the same data set, I, I would rate you a two, not a nine. Now imagine if you're having these conversations every month. So there is no annual conversation about performance. You're checking in every month and you're doing it in a way that enables them to actually grow in self-awareness and self-management and for you to deliver tougher messages when they're required. And sometimes you're going to have direct reports that actually rate themselves too low and you have to say, well, actually, no, you're doing fantastic. I would say, you know, you're at a nine or a 10 on that project or with those folks. So it's a, it's a really simple tool, but it can be used a variety of ways. So what would the variation be with uh, your direct report who's an individual contributor? They don't have a team. Uh -huh. uh, when you do turn that around and ask them to rate themselves, you're not asking them about their leadership necessarily. What are you asking them? So it depends on the projects that they're working on. So let's say I know they're struggling on a particular project and I want to give them some constructive feedback for them to consider on that. I will then use a one, scale of 1 to 10 question with that individual contributor and say, how would you rate yourself as far as your performance on X project? And then see what they say, because what's fascinating is some people that work for you are so incredibly oblivious to their <laughs> own um, performance and others are acutely aware. So then, so the beauty of the asking the scale of one to 10 question is you can get a sense of where their head is at and how aligned or misaligned you are with your direct report. Because it's entirely possible that individual contributor is going to say, boss, I am struggling. I would give myself a two. I don't know what I'm doing. And I know I screwed up at that meeting the other day. And I, and I know I missed this deadline and I need, I need your help. Well, you know, hot dog, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a really nice example. <laughs> um, 
but it, it conversely, it works with somebody who is oblivious and, and you can then use a rating scale to, to say what you really think. Yeah. So in that case, I mean, all the children in Lake Wobegon are above average, right? So how, do you have any tips for how to have that conversation when the person thinks they're an eight or nine and you're really thinking they're a three? Mm-hmm. So this is the courage. You have to say it. So you get to use the numbers, right? But you actually have to say in that scenario, if the person said, oh, I think I'm doing really great. I'm really proud of myself. I've been working really hard, Mindy. It's all great. Say, well, that's really interesting because I would have a dramatically different view of your performance. And I would give you about a two or a three on this project. And let me share with you why. It's direct. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's painful for the listener, and there's no way around it. But if you want to be a valued truth teller, you want to be respected as a leader, you want to be someone that people want to work for, then you're going to have to learn how to deliver direct messages in a firm but loving way. And the scale of 1 to 10 question doesn't mean you get out of doing that. It just provides a nice way to enter into the conversation. That's the magic of it. Yes. So how about that worst case scenario where the employee is just not, uh, you've been giving this feedback consistently for a while and they're not getting better. That uncomfortable feeling where it's time to let them go. Uh, you've got a whole chapter on the book in that. And that's, it's one of the worst jobs as a leader, isn't it? It is. Um, absolutely. Firing somebody, um, is incredibly difficult, and it's probably one of the most avoided um, leadership uh, tasks that um, most people um, try not to do. Um, So, yeah, and I, I always say that firing well is the partner to hiring well, because we get paid as leaders to make the tough decisions and the tough calls, and casting correctly and well on your team, just like Hollywood casting directors and producers, you got to get the right person, the right role. And you hear that all the time in business and people like tune out, (laughs) but it is really, really important. And everybody knows on a team when somebody's not good enough and not pulling their weight and you want to ruin your credibility as a leader, let that person stick around. Um, So it's a huge, it's a huge confidence and um, engagement driver for people when they work for someone who has the courage to call it and to not allow underperformers to stay, um, but it's incredibly difficult. Do you have any rules of thumb for how long to give a person to improve? You've, you've given them feedback for a while now that they're a two or a three, or even a, a five or six. I mean, how patient do you need to be with people? Less than I typically am. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just say this. CEOs, when CEOs have been... Um, talk to about one of what's their greatest regret as they reflect back on their era their eras of leadership they say not firing faster and it's absolutely true and invariably when you talk to leaders who finally get to the point and they do fire the person and they have this great sense of relief and their department's running better and things are better what do they say i wish i would have done it sooner yes. so while there's no perfect amount of time i i say to leaders that the time is probably closer than you want it to be and yeah. sooner than you want it to be. Um, and every circumstance is unique and different and you have to operate that way. But uh, with, within that, but I think taking action sooner is an imperative. Um, and if you've had these truth-telling conversations along the way, Jesse, the person is going to know 
and they and a lot of times they will opt out because this we're you know we're talking about the scale of one to ten and, and telling somebody they're a three and not a nine. You have a series of those uncomfortable exchanges with your boss. Unless you're complete dunderhead, you're like dialing one eight hundred recruiter because right. <laughs> this ain't going in a good direction, right? Yes. Um, and the smart ones will do that and opt out. If you dance around your handbag and don't have those truth telling conversations, that's when you have those awful situations when you're firing somebody and they're like blindsided and there's all of this. It's just drama around it. Well, it's because you didn't do your job. It's not their fault. It's yours. Yeah. And the longer you leave those underperformers on the team, the more you're actually essentially firing the star performers because they'll leave. I mean, I've I've totally left organizations. And if I had to say what's the number one reason, it's because they don't they don't fire people fast. We have way too much dead weight around here and I want to be a star on a star team. That's exactly right. And it happens all the time. So, and that's a leadership, you know, you hear the old uh, cliche, people join companies and leave managers. Well, brother, it's a cliche for a reason. So, <laughs> um, because it's true, no matter how much we want to avoid that. And that is one of the, if you had to boil your book down to three main points, or at least that, that part about leading a team, as I recall, one of them is, uh, is the part about um, you can only change yourself. Yep. But your, your second biggest point is, or maybe it was the first one, is that people join companies but leave managers. That's right. And we know that to be true. Um, but when it comes to facing down the tough discussions, and especially the ultimate, which is staring at another human being and rejecting them fundamentally, this is not something any decent human being wants to do. So you have to really um, be committed um, to knowing that it's your job that you get paid to, to do that and to take a courage pill and stepping up and <laughs> doing it in spite of yourself. And I know that can sound really tough and harsh, um, but I'm a huge believer in firing well. Huge believer. I think it's a game changer and not enough people do it and they don't do it soon enough like we've discussed. Well, let's talk about truth-telling with your boss. Completely different, but also quite challenging, isn't it? It is. It's where, hardest. Where do you start there? Well, if you want to be a value truth-teller with your boss, you've got to have built a track record of credibility um, with them. And one of the first things that I advocate um, for doing that, and it's kind of the price of admission, is being a, a really good enterprise-wide business leader first. For whatever level of the company that you're in, you have got to... Take the time to do your homework and what I call map the company to understand how the company makes money. Be able to see the company performance within the P&L. Really get into the financials and get conversant in the financials, top and bottom line sales and margins and whatever the um, performance, financial performance metrics are for your company. Because at its heart, what you're doing is getting in the mindset as if, as if you were the CEO so that you can see a broader context so that when you are talking to your boss, you're not bringing up stupid ideas and <laughs> solutions <laughs> because you just really don't know that they are very narrow. People get really narrow um, in their jobs. So that's tip number one. The area that you spent most of your career in, in human resources, happens to be one of those that gets a ton of criticism in a lot of organizations for not understanding the business well enough. And um, so, for example, you were at Jim Beam and yes. your typical HR person there, I would think if you say, do you know how we make money? They would say, well, we, sell, we make money by selling liquor. 
Right. Um, but that's not, you're talking about a lot deeper than that, aren't you? I am. I'm actually talking about someone being disciplined enough to sit down and imagine um, who the end customer is and literally visually picturing, okay, I'm taking money from that end customer and where is that money going and how um, and what parts of the business are taking money. So if, you get, if you're getting $100, where is that money? So this is getting into cost of goods sold. This is getting into SG&A. This is understanding your, your, your marketing and selling costs. It's understanding um, your profit before taxes and, and really having an orientation towards that first because the bottom line, Jesse, is that businesses are there to create shareholder value. That's it. It doesn't matter what you do. You're creating, whoever your shareholder is, you're in the value creation business. And if you don't get that and understand that first, you're just not going to be as credible and effective. And so you bridge over into wanting to be a value truth teller. Well, fundamentally, if you're, if you're not conversant in the business and in the financial metrics of the business, you're just not going to be as credible. And that's going to impact your ability to influence. So if you've got some difficult message to tell your boss, mm-hmm. um, let, you're, you don't just want to be a yes man, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and you've got that credibility, then what's the next principle? I would say you've got to map your boss like you've mapped the company and be real disciplined in that. There's a lot of people, there's, there's somebody that I worked with that was called the Unabomber at work. It's a terrible <laughs> nickname. But this person marched around telling people like it was and would pride themselves on saying what everybody else was thinking but didn't do it. And they didn't get promoted and they didn't have the, the impact that they desired. So being a truth teller at work is not about dropping verbal bombs on people. It's about knowing how to deliver um, tough messages in a way that can be heard and acted on by the recipient. And so with your boss, that's why mapping them is really important. You've got to understand who they are, how they're wired, when is a good time to approach them, what their hot buttons are, um, when, they, um, when they are most likely to receive uh, pushback and challenge um, the best, and be smart about when you're going to deliver those messages. That sounds very, very basic and elementary. And I bet your listeners are going, duh, <laughs> this is stupid, Mindy. I can't believe you actually wrote a chapter on this. <laughs> but my experience in the, corporate, in the corporate world throughout my career is that while people say they know it, it does not influence what they actually do on the job. And so people will say all sorts of things outside the meeting rooms, right? And what they think about ideas. And then they get into meeting rooms and they're nodding their head and agreeing and just, you know, kind of getting the political, um, sniffing the political landscape. Um, So they're not really saying what they think. Or they're at that other opposite extreme as the Unabomber. Neither one works. And neither one is going to end up with you being the go-to person for your boss and getting you promoted as quickly as you may want to be. So let's say we're in the meeting, a group meeting. There's, there's certain messages that are certainly best to deliver privately. privately. Sometimes you've got to deliver hard stuff in a group session. Uh, so you've got to read on the boss. Where do you start in that group setting? Well, I have, I have two thoughts on that. Listen, if this is um, an important issue and it's not something that you should be talking to your boss privately, then you've got to have your facts straight and you've got to be prepared 
especially when you know you're going to take an oppositional view to the boss. And then you just got to say it. I think how you say it is important. Um, I teach something um, called the LCS method. The LCS method is very simple tactical framework, but it works. Um, and basically it stands for like, concern, suggest. And within that sequence, you might say to the boss, I really like this about your argument, or I really agree with this. My concern is XYZ PDQ. My suggestion, therefore, is that we consider A, B, and C. Now, it sounds really simple, but the nice thing about that is that it makes disagreeing with anybody a more agreeable experience. Um, and using the concern and suggested language is a softer way to tee up a disagreement versus saying, I think that's stupid and where facts are wrong. And that's, I mean, not that people do that to their boss, um, not for long anyway. Um, <laughs> But it's like people don't, a lot of times don't know how, or they kind of water their message down so much that it doesn't really get landed in that group discussion. LCS can really help you frame up your disagreements well. Is there some self-awareness that's needed too? I was just something you said triggered an old memory I had of uh, a team member, uh, one of my direct reports, that in every meeting, no matter what, if I ever had an idea, she had a reason why that wasn't a good idea. Uh -huh. And to a point, I, I mean, I va she was one of my people I valued most, but you, I did start to just write off like, okay, here it comes. And I actually stopped taking her critiques as seriously because it was just like a pattern. She, all she, she was a, basically a naysayer. She was the opposite of a yes man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always somebody that likes to piss on everybody's Cheerios. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's always one in every group. Um, so I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but did you have the truth-telling conversation with her and pull her aside and say, mate? I did not. No, I, right. I definitely regret not doing that. Yeah, cause, and, and, and that's a really good and very typical experience where we'll see something that dynamic or experience that dynamic and we avoid actually having the dialogue and discussion. And my guess would be is that she's continued to do this throughout her career and be annoying because here's the thing. The beauty of having a truth-telling conversation with somebody in a way that they can hear it, even though it'll be uncomfortable for them, you're going to discover one important thing. Are these people coachable or not? Because if they're not coachable and if they're not willing to change their behavior to improve, you don't want them on your team anyway. Yeah. You just don't. And so, um, and when we don't do that, we end up, um, I think, more stressed out as leaders because we've got that's just one example, but you might have multiple of those situations and it's festering all the time and you're overcompensating as a leader or disengaging or doing whatever you're doing to try to just survive versus um, having the tougher conversations and then seeing what the people do with them. Minnie, this all sounds great, but what if you don't have such a healthy relationship with your boss to begin with? How, do you, how can you turn that relationship around? Well, it's funny because when I left Beam, I was the CEO's right-hand man, despite being the only chick and uh, <laughs> on the executive team and had, having um, come from HR. And we had a great relationship. Um, absolutely awesome. We were mutual challengers and we we're just great partners. But it was not always that way, Jesse. And in fact, four and a half years previously, it was the exact opposite. We had a terrible relationship. And... Um, he micromanaged me and I felt like I'd been doused in stupid juice and it was like <laughs> I could do anything right. Um, and I got into some really bad habits, complaining and just venting at home and it was just not great. 
And my coach taught me something that helped me turn things around with my boss because, and the whole book is based on this principle, the only thing you can reliably change or control at any company is yourself. As painful as that is, <laughs> and as much as we don't like it and think it's not fair, it is true. Um, and my coach reminded me and taught me something. And he said, listen, Mindy, he goes, if you want to get into natural alignment with your boss, start asking him this question at the end of every week. And the question is this, what is your single greatest priority over the coming week? And what my coach taught me about that is he said, listen, if you ask that question consistently, you're going to not only get much needed context for what's happening in the business, and it'll make you smarter and more aware, but you can start bringing your boss solutions to the issues that they care about the most. And if you start to build a track record of being a solution bringer to the stuff that your boss matters the most and that you're oriented to their agenda first before your own, that will absolutely change the game. And it did. It doesn't happen overnight. But it absolutely did, and I, and I highly recommend um, that your listeners give it a try. It sounds awkward and weird, and the first time's going to feel uncomfortable. Keep asking the question and start bringing solutions, and you will be astonished. Because imagine if you lead people, Jess, can you imagine if every one of the people on your team had come to you every week and said, Jesse, hey, what's your single greatest priority over the next week? What's on your mind? You'd like probably fall off your chair, right? Right. It would been amazing. What do you think? Well, I, I like it a lot. I guess the, the first question that pops into my mind is, though, I can think of some leaders, who, some folks' bosses, who their priorities change like the wind. And, uh, you know, they're, they're big thinkers, creative thinkers, but consistency is not one of their strong points. And so part of my job in working for them was to, was to navigate through the, the sort of act, what's the actual long-term strategy and be responsive but yet not bl- – be a leaf blowing in the wind. Yeah, and you know the time frame can be adjusted because I've I've heard that before. It might be, you know, what's your single greatest priority today, um, <laughs> or it might be, you know, hey boss, you're going on a three week, you know, market visit trips and stuff. You're not going to be here. You know, what's on your mind? What are you worried about? And all of that. What can I help with? So you have to moderate and use the question appropriately. Um, the the benefit though is that. It's not you racing around to uh, chase your tail. Um, it's much more about you being in tune with what's important to them. Mm-hmm. It might be being a sounding board on those issues, bringing a solution if you can, and it frees you up. What I discovered is as I began to get more in tune with my boss, he began to stop um, micromanaging me on other stuff that had nothing to do. <laughs> and it was this really weird thing. So a little something I call grind at work decreased dramatically um, over time because he just got used to, oh, she's you know she's totally oriented to helping me out, my agenda, whatever. And all of a sudden, my whole life got easier. And I worked less as a result of that um, than I had before. So you have to massage this so that it works in the circumstances that you find yourself in. Um, but I would say try to overcome your natural resistance to trying this out because it is astonishing how beneficial it can be. Well, and I think we can all benefit from that raising of our altitude. Yes. Because our boss is usually going to be at a higher altitude, a little bit less siloed than we are, a little bit with a higher perspective on the business. And that once a week cadence of forcing us to step out of our box and get that slightly higher view, can't. It, it's definitely going to help us. 
Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it was interesting. Yesterday, I was with a group of 250 global leaders at a client, and we talked about this very thing. And we ended up having them talk in groups about moving through, through their resistance and what were they afraid of in trying this out. But as part of it, I had everybody in the room stand up who had people working for them. And so, you know, I don't know, third, two-thirds of people stood up. And I said to them what I said to you. Imagine if the people that work for you asked you this question every week. And that's when the light bulb went on because then they're like, my life would get immensely better and the fact that somebody that works for me would care enough to ask me that and want to be supportive of me versus always just bring me problems and issues, game changer. Yeah. And, and that was when everybody's like, ah, then maybe I should go ahead and ask my boss that. And it wasn't until they could visualize what it could feel like for them as a leader that they could visualize actually having the courage to go do it with their own boss. Yeah. And to be honest, my own priorities change weekly often. And that doesn't mean I need my team that, but uh, changing just like that. But just to ha- so they can sort of get in my head and, and know my world a little bit, I can see that that would make me a lot more likely to view them as a thought partner and a collaborator, mm-hmm. not someone I need to micromanage. Yeah, and here's the thing: this is about the spirit, right? There's the spirit and intent behind this question that is about service, making your boss successful. Um, being more in tune with them. And that can be really difficult when you have a bad boss or you feel like they don't deserve that degree of respect and treatment. And when you have those feelings, that's when it's most important to do this kind of thing. Yeah. So what's the single biggest priority you have over the coming week? Good question. Well, the book again is The Courage Solution, The Power of Truth-Telling with Your Boss, Peers, and Team. Minnie McKenzie, uh, tell us a little bit more about the services that you offer and, and what you can, how you can help people besides just writing this terrific book. Well, I actually spend the majority of my time um, at companies and organizations uh, giving keynotes and workshops on the topic of, of truth-telling, creating truth-telling organizations, and um, helping people to learn to lead their boss and their peers and their teams better. So that's what I love to do. And you can go out to my website at www.mindymckenzie.com and check things out um, or just drop me an email. So I'm happy to help. Now, I noticed a lot of your materials talk about you being a CEO advisor. Do you do executive coaching type services as well? I do. I have a handful of CEOs that I advise. Um, I don't take on a ton of those relationships and clients because it's they're very deep and very personal and time-consuming um, and I really value those. So I don't advertise that as much. It's on my website. And and the uh, C-suite um, executives and CEOs that I work with I, are all pretty much referral-based. But I'm always happy to talk to somebody if they're um, – sometimes I'll have executives go, my CEO needs to be advised. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, if you're courageous enough to go have that truth-telling conversation, you tell them to give me a call. I'm, I'm happy to uh, talk to them. Very fun. Mindy McKenzie, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. Oh, thank you for having me, Jesse. It's been a real pleasure. All right, Engagers. We've touched on a few of the chapters in The Courage Solution, but there's a lot more practical advice in the book, so get your hands on it. Check out our show notes for the links to Mindy's website and her book. You'll find the show notes for this episode at engagingleader.com forward slash 139, as in episode 139. You can always get easy access to past episodes 
when you're on our website by clicking on podcast, then engaging leader, and then archive. Or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. In several areas, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. <laughs>